Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Today, on the 18th Sunday, after the Feast of Trinity, we have set before us one of my favorite passages from all the Gospels and utterances of Jesus. Jesus, after he shuts up the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection by showing them the principle of resurrection from within the five books of Moses, the only ones they regarded as authoritative or canonical, the Pharisees come to test him next. The Pharisees and the Sadducees disagreed with each other, but they were at least both against Jesus. Jesus, who is against no one, but rather is truth incarnate, will teach truth to those who ask, even if the questioner is hostile. Master, began one of the Pharisees, we can assume somewhat mockingly, since in his mind, he's merely addressing an unschooled hillbilly from Nazareth who happened to snow a few fishermen into following him around like they're really students of the law now. But here was a real Pharisee talking to Jesus. I mean, sure, Jesus had a reputation as a wonder worker, but... I mean, Pharaoh's magicians could do some pretty impressive things that didn't mean they were from God. No, the true test will be to see if this man is faithful to the law of God. Does he really know God's law? Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? This was probably really a live question and issue at the time, with presumably different answers coming from different rabbis. After all, throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there are a whole lot of commandments that God gives. Some of them seem to be repeated. Some of them are repeated, but with a qualification or a subtle difference. It's a lot to keep up with. Now, uh, tradition would develop eventually that there were a total of 613 of them, (laughs) uh, which every faithful Jew was expected to keep in order to be faithful to the law. Even though there was never one definitive list that everyone agreed on, that number seemed to be popular, though not even everyone agreed on the total. So with such a daunting number of commandments in the Torah, it'd be reasonable to try to put them in some kind of order, you know, and especially to figure out which one is the most important one. Now we don't know if the answer Jesus gave was first given by him, or if a tradition of this answer had already developed. When a different lawyer came to Jesus asking about attaining eternal life, Jesus asked him the same question about which commandment is the greatest. Jesus says, you know, well, what do you think you should do to get eternal life? What does the law say? And this lawyer answered Jesus with the exact same answer that Jesus gives the Pharisees in today's story. So we don't know if this was already a tradition that Jesus um, you know, was, was recognizing as the inspired, you know, tradition of this, or if Jesus was the first to teach it and this lawyer had just heard Jesus say it before and was repeating it. Either way, this is the answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength, and mind. Jesus adds mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, Jesus tells them. Now that sounds great a very good and reasonable summary of the law. But it's not really as obvious a conclusion as you might think. Again, you know, this is probably a live question because there were disagreements on how to sum up the law. So why 
does Jesus give this answer? Well, again, there were tons of commandments in the Torah, so this summary, believe it or not, comes from just two sentences, two commandments in the law, and they're not even together in the law, and they're not even in the same books. The first and great commandment, as Jesus calls it, is actually connected to the great Shema prayer, which Jews prayed morning and night. Uh, in the parallel passage of today's story in St. Mark's Gospel, Jesus actually includes the Shema prayer in his answer. The Shema prayer is in Hebrew, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, which means, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord alone, as in there is only one Lord who is our God. This verse comes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, but the very next verse, verse 5, says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Again, Jesus was adding mind to that list, essentially with all that you have. Okay, but where does the second commandment come from, which is like the first? Well, it comes from a different book, Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Two lines, unconnected in the Torah, from different books and given in different contexts. How did Jesus come to pick these two commandments? And what does this tell us about the scripture from which he pulls them? Well, it tells us that scripture certainly wasn't written or handed down to us to give us bullet points or cliff notes about who God is or how we should live. People ask, uh, I've seen the meme, people ask, I wish there was some kind of a manual for how to live, and people will hold up the Bible. Well, here it is. Okay, well, it doesn't read like a manual for living. <laughs> it reads in a much more complex way. Scripture is presented to us as narrative, as storytelling, as poetry, as meditation literature, reflecting and informing the subtleties and complexities and twists and turns of the real world, of real life. Neither Jesus nor anyone else could have arrived at the conclusion of the summary that he gives of all those commandments without having read and known and understood and meditated on all of those commandments first. You don't reach this conclusion easily or lightly. You have to know the scriptures. And just because they all can be truly summed up, Jesus is telling the truth when he says, everything hangs on this. This is the true summary. Just because it can be summed up in these two commandments doesn't mean that everything else can be ignored now or tossed aside. It means that they are all, uh, all the other ones, all the, all the commandments, everything, all the stories, all the poetry, it has to be read and understood and kept in the spirit of these two great commandments. In a similar way, St. John the Apostle in his pastoral epistles written after years of knowing and serving the Lord wrote over and over, God is love. It's almost the summary of who God is. But that doesn't mean that all of the passages and stories about God's actions and dealing with people uh, throughout both the Old and the New Testaments or even the harsher episodes like Korah's Rebellion or um, Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts should be overlooked or forgotten. But rather, all of those stories should be read and understood within and informed by 
the summary conclusion that God is love. If you just start with God is love and know nothing else about God, then your own broken ideas about love are going to tell you what you think God is. You will create a God after your own image of love. Rather, if you know that God is love and then understand God's actions by meditating on them, then you realize that love coming from God is the governing principle that makes all that he does, even the things that seem harsh to us, understandable. It elevates our idea of love. Love obviously is shown uh, most beautifully and perfectly in God coming to rescue us and dying for us as one of us. So that idea and picture of love, that's what informs all the other harsh, rough stories, rough and harsh to our minds. Because from God's perspective, in the end, God is love. And that's how we read everything else. Just like that, the, the summary of the commandments is the key to unlocking and understanding all of the commandments as we read them. But we have to read and know them and understand what God is saying within the context of the key. These are keys to understanding layers upon layers. They're not cliff notes that make everything else irrelevant so that we don't have to read or meditate. But I certainly appreciate keys. <laughs> I'm a big picture kind of thinker. I like to think of things top down. Like what's the ultimate point? What are the biggest questions and the biggest answers? One of the biggest questions anyone could ask is, how should I live and what should I do? Having this answer given to us directly by our Lord is definitely a great comfort. Our liturgy begins with the Lord's answer every Sunday. But even this answer is not the biggest or most consequential or important part of today's story. As important as it is, there's something even more important, even more fundamental in the story that's right in front of us. What is it? What could be more fundamental and important and overarching than the summary of the entire law and prophets? It's Jesus himself. It's Jesus, the person, who is more important to know than even that summary. Because, of course, the beginning of being able to follow those great commandments is to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to love him. To love him is to follow him. If the summary of the law is these two great commandments, the point of the law is to unite man and God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law because he unites man and God in himself. In one person, the Son and Word of God, man and God are united. And in his manhood, in his humanity, all mankind is taken up and included and is united to God. Jesus, even in this story, turns the subject after this toward himself. When the Pharisees are presumably discussing Jesus' answer, he then asks them a question. The coming Messiah, the anointed king who will restore all Israel, and bring all the other nations into relationship with Yahweh, whose son will he be? Well, this is an easy one, Jesus. He'll be King David's son, of course. Or rather, King David's great, 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 etc., grandson. David's direct descendant, basically. Ah, says Jesus. Then why, when David is composing his psalm through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does David reference his own descendant and say, Yahweh, that is our God, will say to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David calls his own descendant Lord, his Lord. But honor always goes backwards from sons to fathers. It goes up, not down, not fathers to sons. So how can this be? Clearly, the Pharisees weren't ready for this one. They never came back with an answer. In fact, no one else dared to even ask him another question. The answer, of course, was not anything that man could have come up with or brought about. The only way David's son could be David's Lord would be for Yahweh himself to humble himself to become David's son. This is what angels marveled at it. The devils hadn't expected. It's what Mary treasured in her hearts. And it's what the disciples came to really understand only after the resurrection of Jesus. God had not only visited his people, he had become one of them in order to recapitulate all of them. Jesus gave the summary of the law in his teaching, but he became the summary of humanity in his incarnation. The summary of the commandments God gives us for living is wonderful and helpful. But even this is only truly helpful within the greater miracle of our life in Christ. The summary of the law comes at the beginning of Mass. But at the apex of the Mass, we commune with our Lord and through Him with each other. The summary of the law then gains its own fulfillment in its enacting in the assembled and living church, in the body of David's Son and Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.